0: Welcome to Blackbird episode number 82. My name is James, and I think I'm finally getting the hang of this live streaming thing. I even turned off my guest's camera for once. So... Today, I am joined by Doc Mason. He is the founder of a lifestyle health brand that um, we're gonna get into. I'm gonna ask him about lifestyle health, what that is. We're also gonna talk a little bit about hormone therapy, which uh, is kind of controversial, actually. I asked my primary care physician about it. He was like, oh, that's junk science. So uh, I, being me, I, of course, like to question the authorities and the authoritative voices. So we're gonna talk about that and then just whatever else comes up. So here we go. I'll bring you in. Doc, welcome to the show. Thanks
1: for having me. Good
0: morning. Sure thing. So uh, I'd like to just kind of start by getting your bio because you you were in like a traditional emergency room type medicine prior to this, right? Right. Exactly.
1: Yeah. So uh, that's how I, I started my career in medicine uh, as a board certified emergency physician. So work in uh, emergency departments all over the country. Filling in, helping uh, programs and hospitals rebuild emergency departments that happen to be in transition. Uh, so I've been in ERs all across the country, from little, you know, three or four room ERs working twenty four hour shifts to big giant, you know, academic centers where there's hundreds of rooms and beds and and lots of help around. So so I've seen uh, I've seen the, the best and worst in medicine, uh, as you say it um especially those who are you know in the middle of a of a life-threatening crisis um heart attacks stroke trauma um all ages little tiny infant babies that were just born all the way through uh folks who are 100 plus and uh and uh folks who who just come in the ER just because they can't don't have access to a primary care doc but they all have one thing in common and that's uh, Kind of a, a, a decompensation or, or unrest of a more or less longstanding medical or behavioral health
0: condition. So, I guess that would get right into lifestyle medicine. That, then, what what is lifestyle medicine like? What's your definition of it? So,
1: lifestyle medicine is is the basic idea is the fundamental fact that that most medical problems and behavioral health problems, um, that, that plague us, particularly in this country, but all across the world, really, um, even some forms of cancer, um, other things like chronic pain, chronic fatigue, irritable bowels, um, a lot of things that are also kind of gray area, um, medical or behavioral health problems. They all stem from lifestyle. And unfortunately most of us have been kind of conditioned um, away from that, not to really be in touch with that. Some even conditioned not to believe it um, and also willing to accept the crutch that is a, a medication for a certain disease. And then, you know, they become that disease. So lifestyle medicine really kind of transforms that whole idea, brings it back to reality and then engages all of us, and turns us from patients into more or less advocates for our own health, wellness, and longevity. And the way it does that is through six fundamental core concepts that, uh, that really are the treatment, prevention, and cure for almost all medical and behavioral health problems we have in this country. And those fundamental concepts are exercise, nutrition, Supplements, basically anything other than good whole food and water we put into our bodies. So there are good ones, obviously, and there are bad ones. So in the supplement category, we talk about the difference between those. Then we have a fourth category sleep, we have stress and mindfulness, and then we have relationships. Now, the thing about it is, it's pretty easy for all of us to trick ourselves into thinking that there's some order of importance there. That, that exercise is the most important or uh, nutrition is the most important. Um, and then all the other ones just kind of, you know, fall somewhere in some rank order or line. But we can't get farther from the truth. The key is, is that good, positive relationships in your life are equally as important as not being a couch potato and exercising every day. Um, and that's kind of counterintuitive for a lot of us. So the the basic concept there with lifestyle medicine is you have the six core fundamentals. And then the second level thinking of that is that all six are equally important. If there was a, a race, they'd come in a dead heat tie every single time. Um, so that means that, that depending on you and your life and your situation, at any given point in time, maybe one is a little more important than the others. Maybe you do kind of put more weight in one area in order to rebalance and, and balance is a universal truth. And that's what lifestyle medicine is, is all about. All good things come from a place of balance, right? Nothing really good or enduring happens at an extreme of at either end. So we always try and use that word as, as for what it is, a universal truth. And the word is balance. And so sometimes those six core fundamentals, we have to balance those out, depending on where you're at in your life, your age, your personal situation, your work, everything. And that's the beauty of lifestyle medicine. Um, so that's pretty much it in a nutshell,
0: yeah. I noticed that um actually this this is something that came up when we first met was uh, you consider supplements not just like taking your vitamins or your your fish oil caplets or whatever but also like even nicotine and other drugs and sort of th- that sort of thing are also supplements. Can you talk about good and bad supplements and sort of the sort of balance there as well?
1: Absolutely, 100%. So like I mentioned in that in that breakdown of the six core fundamentals, within the supplement category, think of anything you put into your body besides water and whole foods. That's what's in the supplement category. So you're right, you're right. You're absolutely correct. We're talking nicotine, cigarettes, uh, THC, weed, CBD. uh, We're talking um, hormone therapy. We're talking peptide therapy. We're talking any sort of medication, uh, whether it's over-the-counter, herbal, natural, prescribed by your doctor. Um, We're talking about coffee, tea, soda, sugary drinks, energy drinks, alcoholic beverages, pre-workout, post-workout, creatine, Protein mixes, essential amino acids, vitamins, minerals. It's a long list. I probably missed some things. <laughs> <laughs> all the
0: all the shit that's in Taco Bell, other than yeah, <laughs> other exactly. than the, the <laughs> corn, wheat, and beans. Like,
1: <laughs> yeah, that too, because it's probably that not very very whole at that point. <laughs> Sorry, yeah. Taco Bell.
0: Obviously, I think you know taking a vitamin C supplement every morning is probably mm-hmm. okay, especially if someone is deficient in vitamin C. But like, do you tell your patients? Yeah, sure. Go go eat Taco Bell once a month if that's going if that's going to keep you sane the rest of the month or is it something just always to be avoided? So, as
1: a general rule, if it's processed in any way, uh, in other words, comes from a can, a factory uh, uh, or a box, um, probably probably shouldn't be passing your lips. Um the the whole idea with nutrition is you want to really settle in on whole foods. And, and avoid anything processed with a bunch of additives and other stuff. So I would, I would say for someone who makes a strong habit of, of fast food or processed food, I would say to, to limit or, or do your best to minimize or eliminate it. Because, again, it's about balance. If I would advise or coach a client of mine who reality of their life dictates that, that they eat at a fast food restaurant at least once a day, um, it wouldn't be a, from a place of balance for me to say, "Okay, you can't ever have any fast food ever again." Um, that would not be long-lasting. It might be radical enough, and their body might adjust, and mind, more importantly, might adjust in a very short period of time, um, and for a short period of time. But eventually, they would just go right back to their their old habits. Um, so, really, the best approach there, when I coach clients on something like this, the example you gave me, I would say, you know. If you go there once in a while and not very often, then yeah, eliminate it because that's not a very big step, right? But if they would, you know, eat that kind of food, you know, consistently, it's much better for me to coach them to slowly, um, you know, eliminate that habit over a period of months, even a year, you know, nice and easy. And then their body and mind hardly even notice the difference.
0: Do you, uh, do you recommend a ketogenic diet or any of the other sort of, um, rules-based diets?
1: Absolutely. For short periods of time, you'll probably notice folks who have been on these diets, they have wonderful results within the first six to eight weeks, maybe 10 weeks. And then after that, you notice your body kind of stops responding as well as it did in the beginning. Yeah. So what I like to do is strategically use just that beginning time, right? Um, and, And I'll counsel clients to, Maybe for 10 weeks, be on a ketogenic diet, and then maybe the next 10 weeks to be on on a, a different type of diet, and maybe uh, another 10 weeks be on a different type of diet, and then transition them in the final phase to a balanced diet. You know, that the, the really, again, there's that word, you know, and you'll probably hear me say it a million times, which you have just like on one of those shows where they do a word count and, and you get a prize for, you know, the, the most times a word is mentioned. Because the balance on the, on the nutrition is really what your body desires and craves. Your body wants balance and it's on a constant, a constant quest for balance. And so when you feed it good whole food based on a, on a program of balance, you have proteins, you have starchy carbs, you have fibrous carbs, you have omega-3, omega-6 sort of fats and water, you're, you're, that's going to be where your body's just humming along like the elegant machine it is. And um, really, if I want to say, I'll add this, James, uh, yeah. if, if someone out there, if an audience member really is looking for a style of eating or a nutrition plan to gravitate towards, um, ours in this country is ever changing based on big business and, and lobbying interest to be, to be blunt. Um, you know, if you look over the past 40, 50 years, the, the, um, The people that put out the nutrition guidance in this country, they've changed their tune many times. Um, But one thing, if you look at the Mediterranean uh, part of the world, their diet really hasn't changed and it hasn't been corrupted or, or influenced really by any outside interests or big money. And that's the Mediterranean style of eating, the Mediterranean diet. And if you look at that, it's a very wholesome, very balanced approach that naturally they gravitate towards Healthy protein sources, plenty of fibrous carbs, which are your wholesome fruits and vegetables, hardly any processed foods. They also drink their wine uh, and, uh, and don't really add a lot to their foods. Um, of course, they love their seafood as a protein source. And, and certain kinds of seafood are great sources of not only protein, healthy protein, but also the healthy fats, omega-3 and omega-6. Good heart health, good brain health, and a way to avoid heart disease and brain disease we know as strokes and dementia is to be able to achieve a long-term balance of omega-3 and omega-6 fats with uh, fibrous carbs, fruits and vegetables. You bring those two together and your body is able to metabolize and use the fats and cholesterol for stuff it really needs hormones to be one of the greatest examples of something where you need fat. But the problem is, is if your balance of omega-3 and omega-6 fats are off compared to your intake of fibrous carbs, then that extra cholesterol is just going to lay down on all your blood vessels and cause heart disease and brain disease.
0: Is there a big difference between buying a loaf of whole wheat bread and making a loaf of bread? I don't even know if whole wheat flour is a thing you can buy at the store, to be honest. Absolutely, yeah. Hundred percent,
1: great question. Yes, hundred percent. Yes. Uh, uh, so, so anytime that you make your own food in your own kitchen, you know exactly what's in it, and you're in control of any additives, right? And both the type of additive and the quantity of additive, right? If you buy a, a loaf of bread at the store, at the very least, you got to turn that thing over and look at that, the long list of what's in it um, to know right? And to know the ratio. I mean, one slice of of, of bread, even, even what we think is super healthy bread, one slice might have 250 milligrams of sodium in it. And then you make a sandwich and you got two slices. Next thing you know, you got half a gram of sodium, not including whatever you're putting between those pieces of bread. So that's just one example, right? I mean, sodium's not the enemy. I don't want to make it. Again, everything in balance, and, and everything just what your body needs, no more, no less. That's really the goal.
0: That's the sweet spot. Let's talk about sleep for a minute because that was one of your big six, and that's something that I struggle with tremendously. Um, on, uh, so I burn the candle at both ends. I I I have a job. I've got a podcast. I've got a side gigs that I'm trying to that I'm trying to turn into a business. Right. Um, got relationships. I've got, you know, my primary relationship with my partner, but then also friendships and, you know, people who want to hang out, that kind of thing. So I'm just, I'm and, and then also now I'm going to the gym three or four times a week. Um, I'm just stretched really thin. So I usually go to bed past midnight and wake up at like six 30 in the morning if I can. And if I can't, then, you know, it'll probably be about seven. And then even when I am sleeping through, through the night, I am still waking up, um, to pee or because my shoulder hurts or just whatever how can we kind of mitigate restless sleep and also just not getting enough sleep? Right. Um, or, or how can we develop better sleep habits that align with sort of all the shit that we've got going on from day to day?
1: Exactly. So I think it's a great question. And, and really where it starts, where it, where it begins is to prioritize sleep. And, and, and that's really the first step for everybody, especially a guy like you. And you're a great example of most people. Right. And, and so the first yeah, step it feels, is,
0: well, and it feels like, it feels like through the pandemic, things have gotten even worse for most people. Like everyone right. now is starting a podcast and a side gig.
1: Yeah. Right. Exactly. Uh, so it's just, it's just busy life. And, the, and so again, the first step is to prioritize sleep. Right. And the way I help my clients kind of frame it so that they can prioritize it is this, everything you mentioned, James, all the stuff you're trying to do to do improve yourself, make yourself better for your own good and for the good of all the people you love and care about, all the goals you're trying to accomplish, everything you're doing during the time that you're awake, all that work, right, that you're cramming into your day, all the results of everything you're trying to do actually happen while you sleep. So you could do as much as, of as you want of all the stuff you're doing while you're awake. And you may be in a position where you're just figuratively banging your head against the wall because you're not seeing the results. And the reason you're not seeing the results is because you're not getting the right quality or quantity of sleep. Mm-hmm. So that helps yeah. ha- helps most of us really have an aha moment and go, You're kidding me. So what you're saying is, is I'm busting my rear end at the gym, doing two-a-day workouts, da-da-da, all this other stuff. And I'm I'm not putting on lean muscle and I'm not losing fat because I only get six hours of sleep at night at best. And it's not restful sleep. Is that what you're telling me, doctor? And the answer is yes, absolutely. Right? So if you want the results for all the stuff you're doing during the waking hours, then you're going to make sleep one of your top priorities, right? And And really focus in on prioritizing sleep. Now, Once you prioritize it, which is basically understanding how important it is to you in your life and everything you want to accomplish, then we have certain techniques, tips, and tricks to optimize it, right? And it's all about understanding your own personal circadian rhythm, working against it, not not working with it, not against it, rather. And then making sure you do other little things, you know, if uh, you want to minimize blue light, uh, you want to, uh, which is light that comes from devices and computers, uh, in the hours right before bed, you want to make sure you ritualize the going to bed process. We'll talk about mindfulness uh, later, but, but practicing a mindfulness session in the hour or two before you go to bed, maybe right before bed isn't good way to do it for most people. But, maybe the hour or two preceding bedtime is a good time to start the winding down process, right? and And make sure you ritualize that process with habits that you're familiar with that are good for you um, that maybe require just a little tweaking in order to kind of segue into the sleep process. Making sure your beds, your sheets, your bedding, your room temperature, your pillow are all comfortable and customized for your comfort. Again, cause we're all different. Um, even the timing is different. We have, there are two types of people. There are morning larks, uh, early birds, and you have night owls, right? So making sure your, your window of sleep, which is tough. You mentioned relationships. I've got a husband and wife here of clients in my practice. He's a night owl. She's a morning lark. <laughs> so as far as their sleep window, they only share the middle part, which is when they're both asleep. (laughs) So as far as the social aspect of a couple or a relationship in the same bed, um, you know, that there's some challenge there. They have to, you know, work things out. Um, there's some adjustments that need to be made, but the point is, is that the first step is recognizing to make that adjustment and then putting effort into adjusting it. And, um, And moving forward uh, together in your relationship that way and and really appreciating and understanding where the other person's coming from in terms of their kind of deeply ingrained sleep patterns. Um, Other things to do is avoid alcohol and caffeine in the hour window right before bed. Um, Also winding down your uh, water intake in that hour to hour and a half window right before bed. Um, so that, you know, you don't get up, uh, as much to use the bathroom, uh, during the precious sleep hours. Um, so that's really, those are some tips and tricks on, on how to do that. But I think the most important thing is number one, prioritize sleep. Number two, develop good habits, good routines, and good consistency in the hour or two before you go to bed. Uh, so that you make sure that you have a routine or, or a ritual that kind of signals your brain, okay, it's time to turn off. And then the third thing is to recognize and work with, not necessarily against our genes and genetics. You know, you like I said, you got morning larks, you got night owls. That's part of our, our genetic makeup. You really can't change that, um, not in a productive way, right? So you want to work with it. You don't want to work against it. And you want to be respectful of your relationships with regard to that. Um, you also want to also understand some of the science and physiology of sleep and what that means to you as an individual. Um, it really revolves around lightness and, and darkness um, and then weather and climate play a role in that where you're at in the country or the world plays a role in that. So you have to understand and appreciate that, too, and make modifications. Um You know, if you have a job that requires you to uh, not go to bed until very late or early in the morning and you have to sleep at least partway into the day, then as an example here, because sunlight triggers your body to be awake uh, and your mind to be awake. As soon as the sun rises within a matter of an hour or so where we are, most of us are awake. Um, It's almost magic in that sense. It's really kind of an elegant thing because it's all again part of our genes, part of our genetic makeup. Has been for millennia. The human species, even animals, actually all animal species. That's how it works. So it's really amazing. But back to the example, um, you have to get special shades to put up on the windows in your room so that it doesn't let even an inch of that sunlight come through. Um, So that's one specific example. Last, I will. um, I would like to to suggest. A a book to your entire audience, um, whether you think you sleep well or not, because you might not even realize it, um, I would say get the book called Why We Sleep. Um, uh, The author of this book also has um, a a class on Masterclass, which is also a great class. Um, And it talks about the science and physiology and the, the evolutionary history of sleep and really how important it is to us. And, and it answers the question, why we sleep. And in the end, it also goes through some of the tips and tricks um, that I mentioned too, about how to optimize sleep. So um, it's a great book and um, really insightful.
0: Great. Uh, I'll make sure to link to that. I'll also link to the masterclass uh, for those who want to have more of a video audio type thing. Yeah, um, I So one thing that I've noticed, and I know that this is weight related, So maybe it'll just fix itself as I continue losing weight. But like I wake up in the middle of the night with just my hip and shoulder killing me. And so I have to flip over takes me another couple of seconds to get back to sleep. It's not a, you know, and, and then I don't, I don't, I don't know if I'm entering like a deep restful sleep for, you know, an hour or so. Um, is that, like I said, just something that's going to mitigate itself or are there tips and tricks for that right now?
1: Yeah. So number one, first and foremost, um, Basically, you have to make sure that your pillow and your mattress, or mattress topper if you have one, experiment with um, their comfort and make sure that it's um, that it's good for you. Um, you're also uh, during this time going to want to mitigate things uh, by you know coming up with different sleeping positions. It's hard for a lot of us because a lot of us are side sleepers, not back sleepers. So if you do want to promote yourself to sleep on your back more than your side, then arrange your pillows and uh, obstacles on your bed, um, other pillows, so that you, you, you don't naturally roll over. Because um, in the end, you know, if you do end up rolling over, that you're going to wake up with the pain. Um, so, so the best solution for now to minimize the interruptions in your sleep and your pain is to set it all up and manipulate the scenario so that you sleep more often or more frequently in a, in a comfortable body position. Long-term, uh, it takes a little bit more thought than that. Um, yes, it, it, it probably is related to body changes, changes in uh, body fat and changes in muscle mass, um, workout routines, um, other things. So you're gonna wanna make sure that you continue to listen to your body during the daytime, in order to be able to promote um, uh, a better, more sleeping, comfortable body position and minimize pain and sleep interruptions at night. But yes, your instinct is correct.
0: Cool, uh, and hopefully that's uh, hopefully that speaks to you know a good portion of the audience. I know that we're all kind of trying to get healthy. This podcast started as uh, sort of an I don't want to call it survivalist, but it, so that the political ideology, I guess, so to speak, that it was started out as is called agorism and agorism is sort of like a separatist just getting out of all the systems so i think that a lot of my audience are people who would like to sort of um become the rugged individualist independent uh, yeah exactly and and so becoming healthy is sort of the the first step in that and i also right. know just from from interacting with a lot of my audience members in person that we're much all overweight so <laughs> So I'm hoping that this that this is speaking to more than just me, um, although I did have you on because I just wanted a free session. So. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, so I guess you mentioned mindfulness and how that can be helpful to do some mindfulness exercises prior to going to bed. I have had a number of sort of meditation experts and that sort of thing on the show, but uh, I'd like to get your take on, on what that mindfulness exercise could look like for someone who might be sort of the cerebral type who isn't into stopping their brain.
1: Right. That's probably the 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 toughest thing is to really is to really be able to do that. And uh, and some of the other the uh, meditation and mindful uh, mindfulness experts you've had um, might have different ideas. I'm sure everybody um, has been has been awesome. But from from my standpoint, um, the whole idea is again, if if you have a certain characteristic or trait and you want to make changes in whatever in whatever part of your life um, no matter what section of your life it is for the better then you're far better off trying to make subtle changes that go in the same direction as your habit or your trait than trying to rail against it you know in a very hard way um, you're always going to have uh, better results and more long-lasting results. Because again, your your, your transformation is a balanced one. And the, and the transformation itself is going in the same general direction as your own trade. So you're working with yourself, not against yourself, but you're still making changes for the better. So to take that example, when it comes to someone who maybe tends to have a very cerebral uh, uh, trait and um, is very thoughtful and their mind is always three steps ahead of everyone else. Um, uh, It it comes with some risks, right? You might all of a sudden decide to speak up and say something in in a group conversation that, and when you do, it doesn't make any sense to your audience because you're like four steps ahead of where the audience is at. That's just one example. Um, so, so with regard to mindfulness, a, a lot of us are, uh, hesitant to do it. Number one, uh, because if you're cerebral, uh, you're not so comfortable trying to manipulate that space. And then, and then the other thing is, is, is once we decide to do it, once we get comfortable with the thought of doing it, we, it's hard for us to do it because we, we can't really operate comfortably within that space to to control it, much like a an orchestra conductor would. So again, the whole concept comes up: working with that, not against it. So what I tell my clients to do, especially getting started, is to get themselves in a quiet place first and foremost, and then a comfortable body position second and foremost. Um, and those two things uh, are really the the fundamentals of mindfulness and then from there i invite them once they're in a comfortable body position in a quiet place to gently close their eyes and and relax their face and the rest of their body relax their jaw and then the next step is to simply concentrate and focus on the breathing in and out only through the nose one of the most the, the easiest way to get started practicing mindfulness. And again, it's just like practicing as an athlete every week for the game at the end of the week. It takes practice. You gotta do it every day, multiple times a day. And just when you think you're good enough, you practice even more so that you're better, okay? So that's the whole idea. It's not just like one or two sessions and go, wow, I have this mastered, Uh uh-uh, right? It's gonna take some time energy and effort to really get good at it so one of the things i tell my clients is i want them to breathe in and out through their nose and they count their breaths right number one is in deep breath in that's one and then two three and then go all the way to 20 right and it's not rushed every breath is focused on and counted on and you go all the way through that process and then And then once you feel like you're more relaxed in a more relaxed state than when you started, well, then you do another 20, right? And you get to a point where you're you're in a very focused but relaxed state of mind and you find that the thoughts that distract you come less and less frequently. From there, once you get really good at that, you can start some imagery. Like for example, when I do the breathing exercise I just mentioned, what I do and what works for me, and it might be different for you, but I imagine a big giant white block style number of that number in my mind. And I see it and I'm, and I'm breathing in and I, and I imagine that number one, right? And as soon as I get to the top of my breath, I'm ready to exhale. That number one just gently obliterates into a million tiny pieces and it's replaced by big block number 2 right and then that same process goes again and again and again all the way to 20 or more i have a client that i just trained on this technique and what she does is she imagines big puffy numbers like clouds or pillows <laughs> and then they just kind of float away so so the point is that i'm working with my own intrinsic imagination, what works for me. And that's what you wanna do. You wanna work with it, not against it. And eventually, once you get good at the breathing process, you can use different techniques like box breathing where you go in for a count of four and then you hold it at the top for a count of four and then you release it for a count of four and then you hold it at the bottom for a count of four and you keep going over and over again like a box, right? For a count of four. Once you get more relaxed, you can do a count of six, a count of eight. Um, There's a lot of different breathing techniques. And I think once you get your breathing under control and you can monitor the breathing, the next kind of level of mindfulness that I like to have my clients engage in is a process of getting in tune with their five senses. So then the next kind of session, in addition to breathing, I never want people to abandon the breathing exercises and the breath work. I want people to get into being in tune with their five senses. So while you're in this kind of relaxed, mindful state, I want people to really focus in on one sense at a time, you know, like hearing, what do you hear? What are the sounds the quiet, soft, subtle sounds you're hearing in this quiet space you're in. Do you hear a clock ticking? Do you hear a background noise? Do you hear a bird twirting outside? Do you hear a dog barking off in the distance? Do you hear the hum of your furnace or your air conditioner? Do you hear the whirling of a ceiling fan above you, right? See what you hear and, and, and operate in that space for as long as it takes for you to have heard everything. And then move into what do you feel? What do your fingers feel like? What do your hands feel like? Are they tingling? Are they sweaty? Are they hot? Are they cold? What are you sitting on? Or what are you laying on? How does that feel? Go through each of the five senses while controlling your breathing. And that's kind of the next level. Now, from there, it's a springboard to a whole world of meditation and mindfulness. And there's hundreds of thousands of techniques and ways to do it. There's a lot of resources out there for people to do guided meditations, right? There are apps out there called Calm. There's a whole bunch of stuff for people to investigate and and get into and learn. And I encourage people to tap into those resources once they start mastering those two things. The last thing I'll say about mindfulness is probably the most important thing. Um, and, and that is, is this as a beginner, once you get started, and this applies to people, for example, who struggle with sleep and being awake at times when they know they should be asleep. It applies to a lot of stuff. It applies to uh, someone who's practicing anything and not achieving their goals in the moment. Right. But, the, but specifically with regard to mindfulness, here's, here's the the clinical, here's the pearl, right? The pearl is this. Um, what I want is I want you to not punish yourself for a distracting thought. What I mean by that is, is when you get started, distracting thoughts are going to come in and try and disrupt your process, especially for a cerebral type of person, your mind's going a mile a minute, right? You begin to even think about, oh, I'm not doing this good enough. Uh, I need to do this better, right? All kinds of distracting thoughts, let alone the stuff that you need to do later that day or memories of stuff that you did earlier that you could have done better pop into your head. So I don't want you to punish yourself for distracting thoughts. Instead, I want you to do the opposite of what your instincts tell you to do. And what that is, is I want you to thank the thought for coming by like a friend passing on the street who you don't really have time to talk to for, for very long, right? Walking by, say, Hey, man, how you doing? Great. How about you? Awesome. Thanks for asking. Where are you headed? I'm going over here. All right, cool. Have a great day. (whistles) Off they go. Right. That's how I want you to handle distracting thoughts. So thank the thought for coming by. Recognize it. Greet it. And then say goodbye and let it go. Eventually, over time, once you start handling thoughts in this way, there'll be fewer and fewer interruptions. And you'll get better and better at achieving results in mindfulness, which by the way, again, is just as important as any of the other five core fundamentals. Um, but the importance in mindfulness is you're not only you're not only mitigating uh, the stress you know about, which is the prefrontal cortex of your mind. You recognize your stress, you're moving, your job, your relationships, whatever might be stressing you out, you're you're relieving that stress, but you're also protecting yourself against the more powerful stress that exists in our subconscious mind, that which we don't have access to. We don't, we don't know what's going on in the primitive area of our brain, but it has a direct open loop circuit connection with our environment through our five senses. And so not having control or awareness of that stress um, that affects every cellular process in our body. Is really important um, to be able to protect yourself against that, and the one way to protect yourself is mindfulness.
0: Um, you mentioned guided meditations as sort of an advanced tactic. Uh, yes. I have always thought of guided meditation as sort of the intro. Like, okay, you don't know how to you don't know how to clear your mind yet, so just uh, just do this thing where someone's telling you to walk through the walk through the forest and um, then float off into space or whatever. Right. Um, is that backwards then?
1: So. It can be, what for those who struggle, um, one way, one approach is to do guided meditation and then kind of release them into a process that I described. I take a, the opposite approach, right? My approach is, is here's a technique I want you to start with. And what that's doing is it's simple. and And as long as you don't punish yourself for distracting thoughts, I give you two exercises. The one level exercise is the breathing and counting and maybe imagining the numbers in a way that appeals to you. So that the reason I want it to appeal to you is because that's gonna keep you most focused on it and protect against distracting thoughts, right? So the number one, the number two, going inside, inside, and with the breathing in and out through the nose, that whole process is meant to consume your brain energy. Um, especially if you're a uh, you have high brain energy Um, and then pairing that with the coaching that you're not to punish yourself for any distracting thoughts that you're supposed to recognize them say hello and then goodbye is a tool that helps you as even as a beginner train yourself and train your mind to be able to be calm and handle distracting thoughts this philosophy of training and mindfulness offers you a very strong foundation, not a crutch to lean on. Um, um, And it's kind of an overarching theme with lifestyle medicine. It's like, if you came to me and you had high blood pressure, the equivalent of guided meditations up front would be for me to prescribe you a medicine right away uh, for high blood pressure. Whereas the equivalent of What I'm talking about would be say, okay, for the next six months, you have to, here's your diet plan, here's your exercise plan, here's this. So I'm kind of forcing you to to tackle that problem at a fundamental level. And the added bonus comes later, right? So once my clients who are practicing the mindfulness get good at the techniques I talked about, using guided meditations later on as an advanced technique, is when you might, say, run out of ideas on your own, and you want to explore deeper, you want to explore space, or you want to explore the waterfall, right, in a, in a calm, mindful state. Then those guided meditations can and are, in many cases, a lot more fun.
0: All right. Awesome. So the next one uh, is exercise. This is the one that all my dude, bro listeners are gonna love. Uh, it's the one that I jumped on as soon as as soon as we talked. I got a gym membership. I started going to personal training, which has been fantastic. yeah, that's um, great. I had had a membership at a real cheap chain gym. I only got a membership there because it was inexpensive. But because I didn't have like appointments with a trainer, I just never went. And then also, like my partner and I pretty much do everything together, and that chain had visitor privileges. so he was able to come with for free every time, but he right. doesn't like to, he doesn't like to work out. Like he's, he's, he's like, he's an ectomorph who never gains weight and doesn't feel the like incentive to go <laughs> and, and do anything, which is, you know, whatever, that's fine. But now, so I, I got a, I got a membership at a more upscale gym that has right. personal trainers come to find out. They also have those guest privileges. So my partner comes with me, he hangs out in the hot tub for an hour and a half or whatever. Right. I'm, um, and it's great. It's been wonderful for our relationship. It's been wonderful for all of that, and also you know i'm i also am getting strong, which is really cool right so that's kind of my own personal testimony to it, but the problem is also that i'm not I'm not following the dietary guidelines quite as well. Um, right. I mentioned my sleep is is struggling my supplementation is good um I'm not smoking, I'm drinking very very moderately, that sort of thing so anyway I, I guess First of all, what kind of, what kind of exercise do you recommend? You told me to do volume training, but I, I would imagine that that's not the same for everybody. And then also, how can the dude bro types make sure that they're prioritizing other things as well as exercise, getting that balance rather right. than making exercise the end all and be all of their of their health and wellness regimen?
1: Absolutely, and I'll answer the second question first. So taking us back to the beginning of our of our meeting here today, the, the most One of the most fundamental concepts of the fundamentals of lifestyle medicine is that no one fundamental is any more important of balance, that all good things that last and endure and are positive for us and a, and a strong force in our lives and those that we love and care about come from a place of balance. And that given the individual and where they're at right now, the other one of the other, or many of the other fundamental concepts might have to get more attention and bring them into a place of balance. the 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 guys you're talking about, um, who are really heavy on the exercise part and light and lean on all the others, the way I sell this to them is you think things are great now. Uh, just wait until you bring us all into balance. You're gonna. It's gonna open up a whole new world to you. Uh, Your whole body. Your your hair is gonna stand on end. Your whole body. Your energy. Your mind. You're gonna achieve things that you never thought were possible for yourself. Once you bring the other full core fundamentals into balance with your exercise, that's that's the sales pitch, uh, for lack of a better word. But it's not really a pitch. It's reality. I mean, that's how this whole thing of health, wellness, and longevity works. Once somebody is in balance on all six of those things, that's when they reach that, uh, I'll bring an old psychology term into it, that self-actualization, that self-actualized state, which whatever you call it is more or less the pinnacle of balance, right? Uh, Personal health, wellness, and longevity. So that's that's the first message I would send. Uh, to those guys who are like, I got exercise on point. I can just let all the other stuff slide. That's the message I would give them is you think you're good now. Okay. Well, if you're happy with, you know, being one sixth of the way there, then that's okay. But if you want the, the whole package, if you want everything uh, just wait till you get those other things in balance. So that answers your, your second question first. Um, now, As far as a type of exercise, um, really, it is the same for everybody, young, old, um, doesn't matter. If you are a, a strongman competitor or if you are a CrossFit athlete and you compete in CrossFit games or if you make a living running triathlons or make a living on a bike, as a cyclist, or you make a living running marathons or cross country, then, then you're different. And uh, for those folks, I recommend exercise that matches those career goals and those careers. Right. Um, but if you look at the numbers, there are very few of us who are getting paid for those kinds of things, um, and those kinds of competitions. And so for the person who's a not a professional athlete in any one area of, of, physical work that we commonly associate with exercise, then the, my prescription for exercise is the exact same that I gave to you. Um, it needs to revolve around not be entirely defined by, but it needs to revolve around resistance training, right? Whether it's with weights, bands, body weight, you know, you name it. Um, Uh, Resistance training is really what it needs to revolve around. Um, Endurance training is not so important for the non-endurance athlete. Um, So I would say minimize any kind of endurance training. Any kind of cardio is really nice. It's super flexible. It's whatever you like to do, right? Um, So take whatever you like to do and and then modify it to where you have periods of high intensity and periods of low intensity this could be boxing uh mixed martial arts uh rowing uh, cycling walking running um it, it could be literally anything and that can be the heart health component just do it because you like it not because you feel like you have to why because the way that you do resistance training, the way that you do it in terms of how I prescribe it gives you all the heart health benefit you need. So then you do the heart healthy stuff, the stuff we typically think of heart healthy stuff, because it's fun and you like to do it as opposed to me as your coach telling you, you have to do it, um, which is a much better reason to do things because you like them and they're fun, not because someone's telling you to do it. So Then we boil it down to how do you do the resistance training? And this is something that you're familiar with because I gave the same prescription to you. Number one, you go for volume, right? Um, Again, if you're not a strongman competitor, you don't power lift in competitions, right? You, You don't have to do those kinds of exercises with weights and resistance training. What I want you to do is go for volume, high rep count, or better yet, go for time. Stop counting your reps. I don't care how many reps you do. Well, unless there's a lot of them. I want you to do a lot of them rather do a certain move or a certain lift for 30 seconds, 45 seconds, a minute, right? Go for time, right? The whole point is is that volume training gives you time under tension for your muscle. And that's really what we want. What builds the size and in many ways, the strength of the muscle itself is this phase, the contraction phase. It's called the concentric phase. Boom. Right. But, The eccentric phase, the elongation of the muscle, what does that increase the size and strength and flexibility of? The joints of the muscle, right? The elbow in this case, and the shoulder in this case, where the muscle connects to the bone is strengthened and becomes more easily trainable for flexibility by focusing on resisting in the eccentric phase. So I want you to use power and explosivity on the concentric phase to increase the size and strength of that muscle. But then I want you to go nice and easy and resist gravity on the way down because that's increasing the size, strength, and flexibility of joints. So that's why time under tension and volume training is really important. Okay. So then the next thing, the next part that I want you to incorporate in your in your weight oh,
0: training uh, real quick okay, let me, me just ahead. interrupt To yeah. um so for those that are listening and not watching when you were doing the concentric movement oh you yeah. Flexing. Flexing. yeah you were flexing your bicep uh yeah. the eccentric was was like unflexing the bicep. Exactly. So basically yeah. it's the like the curl the, phase of the muscle right? yeah exactly the, so the yeah. curl is the is the concentric and then resetting back to the start is the eccentric
1: Exactly. Yep. Sorry. I should have, I should have realized that people couldn't, not everybody can see me. So, um, next, right after, after we focus in on volume training, right. And time under tension, the next part we want to focus in on is, is metabolic training. And this is where the heart health comes in. What I told you to do. And what I tell all my clients is not give yourself much rest at all in between sets and exercises. You're constantly moving. And and a lot of times I have clients who are doing dumbbell workouts. They hold on to those weights the entire workout. They never put them down. They go from move to move to move and any rest they give themselves is not really rest. They're holding on to those dumbbells and more or less doing a farmer's carry the entire time they're working out 30 to 60 minutes. That can get tough and it's it's, uh, hard work. But we're strong beings meant to do hard things, right? So when we feel strong, we want to push ourselves. When we don't feel strong, we don't push ourselves. Um, and that way you get strong and and flexible without risking injury, which is really important. But the metabolic training, what it means is you give yourself only 30 to 60 seconds rest in between sets and exercises. That's it. By the second exercise, you probably notice you'll be in a flop sway. You're huffing and puffing and you're working hard, right? Last part of resistance training I want all my clients to incorporate is is functional training. They want to focus on, on compound body movements as often as they possibly can. If they can build an entire workout based upon compound body movements, that's the perfect workout right there. Even with body weight, I can give you a perfect example. I want you to imagine two scenarios. I want you to imagine in one scenario, dropping down and giving me 20 push-ups, best form you possibly can, 20 push-ups. And then imagine how you feel when you're done. All right. Got that? Good. Now I want you to imagine giving me 20 push-up burpee jumps, right? Same number of push-ups, but imagine for a moment, once you finish those 20 burpee push-up jumps, how you feel. Compared to how you felt when you just did the 20 push-ups, again it's the same exercise. What the purpose of that exercise? I wanted to give you was I wanted to work your chest. I wanted to have you do push-ups to develop the size and strength of your pectoral muscles. But instead, I'm having you choose to do the burpee push-up presses or jumps. Instead, I'm giving you the same amount of work for your pecs, right? But now I've incorporated your entire body. And your heart and your mind too, to get through those twenty burpee push-up jumps. Um, it's a much better exercise all the way around, um, and it's better for everything. It's gonna it's gonna touch on all six fundamentals. Just doing the burpee push-up jumps instead of just the push-ups will affect all six fundamentals. It's gonna affect your your sleep. It's gonna affect your. Um, nutrition. It's going to affect metabolism. It's going to affect hormone levels. It's going to affect relationships. It's going to affect everything. Um, So those are the three aspects of resistance training that I want all my clients to incorporate. Volume training, functional training, and metabolic training. Um, And that's it. That's the exercise.
0: There you go. Uh, So the last um, area is relationships. Just go. What do you have to say about that? So as I mentioned to you, you probably remember,
1: um, humans are social creatures. I mean, it's, it's in our genes, our mind, body, and spirit thrive off of, and are fueled by healthy, positive relationships in our life. Now, obviously the first thing that comes to mind is relationship with another human, but we also have other relationships, right? With pets. And animals dogs cats horses cattle chickens i mean whatever anything we kind of encounter in in our in our life plants right the earth right whatever we encounter or interact with is technically a relationship um if you look at it that way which is a good way to look at it so we need to invest ourselves into our relationships and make sure that we really build things and drive our process and our energy in our relationships in a healthy, positive direction and really make the most of it. So the best, best exercise I give my clients and I coach them on is really dive into your the positive relationships you have in your life and do some, a self-awareness kind of exercise where you figure out what it is exactly about you that makes those relationships positive. Then take uh, that knowledge and that self-awareness and build on it. You know, shine it up, buff it out, make it better. And take each one of those skills, that knowledge, those abilities, and then go back to your positive relationships and make those even better. And then, And then take all that information you have about yourself. And use those tools and that toolbox you've you've kind of developed into making all relationships that you're a part of positive, as positive as they can be. So mediocre relationships, right? Make them better. Unknown or potentially negative relationships, make those better. Right? Invest yourself in relationships. Um, a perfect example. Um, you know, you're sitting there working at your desk or. In your office, uh, wherever you work and, and, um, the cleaning person or whoever like maintains your workspace for your company comes by and, uh, is either sweeping something up or, or, or vacuuming something or emptying a a trash can, you know, wherever. Um, and normally throughout the course of the day, you might not even recognize that person's there, right? They're just, they're there kind of in the background. Um, instead, if you want to invest yourself in relationships, pause, take a breath, look that person in the eye with all the genuine, you know, relationship uh, uh, force you have in your body and, and thank them and say hello. Ask them how their day was um, and, and wish them nothing but the best and, and uh, acknowledge them. Right. This is a relationship now. It only lasted maybe 20 seconds, but that's not only fuel for them, it's fuel for you. Right. So in the process of doing that, you're partly selfish because you're recognizing the fact that that in order to achieve higher levels of advancement with regard to the relationship fundamental that really is the glue that holds all this together. You need to put yourself out there and um and lend somebody that that relationship hand, so to speak. It even applies to um, people who throw negativity your way, right? So that's, again, this is a, a relationship thing. They're not to be judged or blamed. They're kind of in their own negative space for that. You're driving down the freeway or getting on an on-ramp, and some dude thinks you cut him off, whether you did or didn't. You know, as long as it wasn't intentional on your part, right? My mom always used to say, we don't punish for accidents. You know, those things happen. Sorry. But as he passes by you, you know, he's like rolling down his window, shaking his fist, giving you the finger, like yelling and, you know, being all aggressive as opposed to being lured into that that negative rabbit hole um, or shaking your fist back at him which really is a process that even if it's only a second or two, it takes energy from you, from this relationship piece. Instead, meet that negativity with positivity. Take a negative relationship, no matter how brief, and turn it positive. Because in the end, this is for you. This is your energy, right? It comes back at you, right? So might as well make it positive so that you can use it. And you don't want to lose any fuel, right? You just want a full tank all the time. So that's the uh, relationship piece.
0: I love that. So the last couple of years, as everyone knows, we have kind of been told not to not to interact with people quite so much. I have kind of bucked that by you know still interacting with people as much as I can, making conversation with the cashier at the grocery store, for instance. Kind of reminds Absolutely. me. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of what you were just saying. Do you think? And like, I no longer work in an office environment. For instance, I I I got a remote job, even prior to COVID. So I don't have I don't have work friends. All of my work friends are you know they're around the world. Most of my like common interest friends are on Twitter. I have some work friends from my old job. We don't really see each other very often. My closest friend, uh, his wife is diabetic and she was pregnant throughout the pandemic. They ended up the pregnancy miscarried. Um, So, and then she got pregnant a couple of months later. So anyway, they were being very, very careful all throughout the pandemic. So like that relationship has struggled a little bit. All we tend to talk about is stressful issues like politics and stuff, because we don't necessarily see eye to eye on everything. It's just, it feels like the last few years, all of my relationships have struggled. um, Other than the relationship with the person I live with. And, you know, I mean, that's only one relationship. It's the most important relationship in my life, but like, you know, right. I mean, there would be, it would be nice. To, and my family all lives in Texas. Um, I'm in Minnesota. Do you have any feedback or advice for circumstances like that, where someone's whose relationships are all at a distance might feel unfulfilled as far as that goes?
1: Absolutely. So so that too is a, is a little bit matter of perspective. And to a degree, you can only work with what's, What's in front of you, and the pandemic has been a perfect example. It has placed limits on our our what we thought of as relationships and being able to contribute and build them um, uh, that were not our of our doing. We so we had to work with what we got, and I think what you mentioned is is exactly that. So. So a relationship, obviously, for many of us, uh, most of us, the most fulfilling relationships are like in-person kind, right? And um, and there is truth to that, um, and I think I think it's it's absolutely um, it's absolutely true, yeah, and not just truth to that; it is true. Um, however, once those are limited, we have to step back for a minute and, and realize that that any kind of relationship is still a relationship. Okay. And and we need to do two things. Number one, we need to recognize that and invest ourselves in it. And number two, we need to go out of our way to even make those relationships more fulfilling. So it's so it's a two-pronged approach. One is to recognize the fact that even if it's a virtual relationship, it's still a relationship. So do everything we talked about to make it a positive one. And a positive one for you and a positive one for 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 the relationship as a whole the the second piece of that under the constraints of more virtual relationships as opposed to in person is do everything you can to make them more fulfilling for you and the whole relationship in other words if if you have a lot of friends in the virtual world of twitter for example right those are all relationships and you have a relationship with the group and you have relationships with each member of the group. So go out of your way to not only focus on those being positive for you and everybody else, but also go out of your way to make them more fulfilling. And one idea to do that is maybe take a a Twitter relationship with the group and with individuals to another level or to a next level and maybe engage in telephone conversations or video chats with them, or, or just bring them up a level beyond uh, a, a Twitter group or, or a tweet. Um, and, and then when things relax a little more then, and, uh, and there are opportunities to do so, then you can meet in person. But many of these relationships, people are spread all over the world. So that becomes not practical or possible but do everything you can to make those relationships that are limited more fulfilling. And the way to do that is to bring them up a level or two.
0: Yeah, cool. Um, and I do do that as well. Like when, when I do travel, which, you know, I mean, for the people who I interact with the most, um, COVID was pretty much over within a month or two. Uh, we were we were getting together in person when we could, just not at, not at restaurants because they were shut down, that kind of thing. Although now, I mean, pretty much the entire country is at least the places that I go to, there are opportunities to hang out in person. And so, you know, I, I'll, like I'll be in New Hampshire in a, in a few months and I'll be in Texas next month and that sort of thing. Awesome. So we're, yeah, we're we're getting together, we're meeting. It's, it's really good. It's, yeah, it might be that um, most of the people who I interact with, the relationship is pretty much based on politics and not on like shared hobbies and that sort of thing. The sort of thing that like, you know, normal people's friendships are, are based on. Um, so yeah. And actually I've asked, I've asked this question of another person who, you know, he's another kind of scholar in my sort of niche and his suggestion was to start a book club, you know, being that we're all kind of nerds, you know, a book club, but not a book club where we're reading political books. We're just reading books together. Right. Um, Or even like a movie discussion, if we're not into books or whatever it is, I think that that's probably going to be the way to go for me in the future because we rented this apartment, my partner and I. We rented this apartment, and my whole thing was, I want to entertain, I want to have dinners, I want to have people over all the time. Um, and so we got this apartment that is just amazing. It's got a formal dining room and high ceilings, and just plenty of space for people to come over. Um, and it's cheap because we live in the ghetto, but that's all right because most people are willing to <laughs> to, to, to brave um, right. the not so nice neighborhood. Um, right. But like every single get together we've had have been. For him like it's mostly his friends uh i'll sometimes tag along and have my two or three people who i actually hang out with that don't right. live uh, you know all to the four corners of the earth right. um but uh yeah i think that starting like a local meetup group or something like that is going to be my is going to be my saving grace because i'm too much of an extrovert to only have online relationships it's just the, the way it is uh, absolutely I did have a question. Also, you mentioned at the very beginning of the the piece on relationships that it's not only about interpersonal relationships, but it's also about interacting with uh, with nature and and um, everything else. Can you maybe talk for a couple of minutes about what that kind of looks like? Um, that feels like sort of a, a mix between mindfulness and relationships to me.
1: Hundred percent. And so and so the other thing about these fundamentals to not allow ourselves um, uh, into a into a false sense is we don't want to silo them they are fundamentals right and and each one is a continuum that crosses over into all the others so it's 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 like almost like a giant venn diagram uh made of spheres if you can imagine that um and they're all kind of kind of glob together although they each also own their own independent space so I like the fact that you recognize that that uh, a relationship with nature or natural things <clears throat> like plants and trees and the earth and animals um, and everything else is just as much of a relationship by definition as a relationship is with a person or a friend or, or a loved one or whoever. And so, yes, that does cross over right into all the other areas, particularly most notably, it crosses over into mindfulness. So so we need to invest ourselves as much in that type of relationship as it's available, as we do with people. And so this is another technique, kind of going back to the other topic you brought up about how, how certain events in our lives can limit the opportunity for people to get together one-on-one Then another technique, besides taking the virtual relationships we talked about and building on them with maybe a book group, a virtual movie group, or getting together, um, or talking about other things um, and building awareness of commonalities, of things in common besides politics, another uh, aspect is to really focus in on, on what's available to you. So there's this whole thing called, a uh, whole process, whole field of, of awareness called earthing. And, and earthing is, is um, a really fantastic, terrific way to uh, build and nurture our relationship with earth. And really the fundamental of, of earthing is to get outside. Um, although it's tough in the winter in Minnesota, just left there, it's terribly cold. I think it was a minus twenty something wind chill. Yeah, um, this winter has been particularly brutal. I I, <laughs> I, I I froze while I was there. I was where was I? I, I was out in New Ulm uh, for a few days, um, and then traveled, of course, through the cities to get in and out. But but but, anyways, beside the point. What earthing is? Is ideally you're barefoot, right? Um, it's the, the the bare skin of your body in contact with the earth. And and exposing yourself, not literally but figuratively, maybe literally, um, to the elements, right? And in particular, the sun. Um, We talk about supplements. Well, vitamin D um, comes from the body's metabolism of the UV rays of the sun. We need our bodies need thirty minutes a day of unfiltered, unblocked sunlight. Right, And if we don't get that, then our body doesn't make enough vitamin D. Um, and we have to take vitamin. We have to take supplements because uh, vitamin D is a critical uh, vitamin. So it's really important um, that in this case, for example, building the relationship with nature and earth, one one way to do that is earthing. And the concept of earthing is you expose your bare feet and as much of your body as you can to the elements, to the sun, Again, in Minnesota, in the winter, it's really hard to do that, but not impossible. Um, obviously, you can't have bare feet out there, but you can certainly be outside, right? And um, and be in a in a relaxed state of mind. In other words, I'm not saying you know be outside to you know um, go walk to the corner market or to attend a, a winter fest or whatever. I'm saying go outside with a specific intention of building your relationship with nature and earth. That's that's the concept there. And so spend time, whatever it is, five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, longer, just focused in on, on being aware of that
0: relationship. That's so cool. Yeah. yeah. And actually, um, I, I started gardening last year, um, <clears throat> which also brings in the kind of exercise and diet components. I mean, it's all, all of, all of that is kind of of a piece, I guess. Exactly. Uh, When you think think of the relationship to nature as one of your relationships. Um, Okay. Before we close out, uh, I'd love to get your take on hormone therapy, bioidentical hormones, that sort of thing, um, because it is a little bit controversial in medicine. And um, I have... I've heard nothing but good things from proponents of it and nothing but it's junk science, but no like actual refutations or anything, oddly. Um, just right. <laughs> just just kind of slurs about it from from others. Um can you kind of give a, a an overview of what it is, how it can help people, and yeah, that that's that's probably good. Perfect. If I have if I have links or anything like that, I'll throw them.
1: Awesome. Very good. So the reason you hear things thrown around like that's junk science and and basically refutations as opposed to Any solid reason against it is because it's coming from a place of fear, not knowledge or balance. And so the only way that those folks know how to react to your question or you're bringing up the subject is to just knock it down because they don't know about it. They don't have knowledge base from which they feel comfortable talking about it. So then they uh, minimize it. The reality of it is, is, is hormones are... Probably very close to the top of the figurative food chain of the hierarchy in our body that, that manages the elegant dance of how our body works down to the cellular level, how it ages, how it sends messages back and forth, how it translates and transcribes those messages, how it recovers from work, how it restores itself the speed with which it operates and separately the efficiency with which it operates. And when I say it, I'm talking about your mind, your body and your spirit all the way to the cellular level from the skin and the hair on the outside, all the way deep inside. Every part of us as humans is more or less regulated. I guess that's the best single term by hormones and other messengers and so they're wonderfully important right to the functioning of a healthy mind body and spirit they're also wonderfully important in the aging process and the recovery process and the composition of the mind body and spirit so that really is puts them in their place as far as how important our hormones that's how important they are right now with that importance it's at the very least, reasonable to take a look at someone's, how they feel, what their symptoms might be, take a look at their life, take a look at you know what may or may not be going on medically, also from a behavioral health standpoint, how they feel mentally, and then take that information. And at the same time, look at the hard numbers, look at the blood levels of hormones, and kind of see where they're at. Now, a lot of things overlap in terms of symptoms, right? Um, But most times they overlap with other hormones. So in a lot of ways, the hormones can define who we are and how we feel. So to that level, again, that underlines the importance. And that's how you look at hormones. You look at them based on how is this individual's mind, body, and spirit feeling and operating, and what are their blood levels. And then once you bring those two pieces of information together, you're in a really good point. Me, I am in a very good point as a clinician, particularly in lifestyle medicine and hormone optimization, to be able to make recommendations on supplementing hormone balances. And hormones can change for a lot of reasons, okay? The balance of hormones exists on a minute-to-minute basis and on a long-term basis. Long-term, Men and women are a little bit different, but we all use testosterone and estrogen, along with progesterone, prolactin. I mean, the list goes on and on. Males and females, both men and women, both use the same set of hormones, just in a different balance. Estrogen is far more important and at a higher balance in women than it is in men. And testosterone is also at a higher balance, but just as important in men as it is in women, or more in women as it is in men. It's just a lower level, but women need testosterone just as much as men do. And men need estrogen just as much as women do. So the rate at which they lose these hormones over time and the amount of hormones they lose over time as they age is different, but equally important in men and women. So that combined with the knowledge that From an evolutionary standpoint, our bodies are pretty much designed to start preparing for death between the ages of 48 and 52, which, no surprise, two things. Number one, that's the average lifespan up until just about 100 years ago for millennia. It had never changed the average human lived to 48 to 52, somewhere in that range. So, the second thing is no surprise, it's no surprise that, and it's more noticeable in women, but men go through the same thing. In women, it's called menopause, right? Women enter menopause 48 to 52 on average. That's where they go, right? So, that at a time from an evolutionary standpoint was designed to be the beginning of the end, so to speak, for men and women. Um, The hormones were declining and they were in in a state of shutting down, preparing for death well now we have medicine and science and technology that has far outpaced in terms of advancements evolution in our genes but it's a slow process our genes have not caught up with all this yet so now in the last hundred years we've almost doubled our average lifespan right but yet we still go through menopause and andropause. endopause is the word for male side of it at 48 to 52. (laughs) So now we're living almost half of our life in a state of hormonal imbalance. And I've already mentioned how important hormones are to your mind, body, and spirit. So my whole philosophy is you got second half of your life yet to live. Why not make it the best half? After all, at the age of 48 to 52, most of us have accomplished a lot if not all of the great things life has to offer us.
0: Yeah, that's when we have all the time and money in the world.
1: <laughs> right, exactly. So why not make that second half the very best half, really? Instead of just going, oh well, nah, um, I'm 50, I guess. I've accomplished everything. Now I'm just going to ride off into the sunset. Now's the time to really do that. And the and the way we accomplish that is through bioidentical hormone therapy. Now, women start to lose their testosterone actually in their 20s. And depending on where they started, they may have symptoms of testosterone deficiency at like 28 years old, 32, right? In their 30s. So testosterone is a very steady decline in men and women. Estrogen, however, um, is not so steady. Estrogen declines more rapidly and sharply in their 40s is when women start to lose their estrogen. And, and usually for most, the average age of menopause is right around 50. And that's when they, they stop ovulating and they, and they lose, they don't have their periods anymore and all that stuff stops. And it's more or less defined and regulated by estrogen and the interplay of estrogen with other hormones in their body. So they have all sorts of symptoms related to both of those things. But I will say a woman in her late 20s, if she started with low testosterone in the first place and was getting by, once it reaches a certain threshold, she may start having all these symptoms of of being nervous and and, uh, sugar cravings and um, foggy thinking and, and weight gain, can't lose weight, can't recover from workouts like she used to. And she goes to a doctor's office, if she goes to a doctor's office, she goes to a doctor's office and and he hears all those, he or she hears all those symptoms. And next thing you know, she's on a prescription for Zoloft. Um, And off she goes. And now she has anxiety and depression. Well, most times it's actually a hormone imbalance, Not, not the fact that all of a sudden she became anxious and depressed. Uh, so a lot of folks end up misdiagnosed by traditional medicine. Um, and not that I'm judging or blaming doctors. Doctors have been conditioned by the same system, healthcare system, that has produced people into thinking they're patients and also rapidly and willingly accepting the sick role, becoming defined by whatever diagnosis and medication that they're on. So doctors are mu- as much victims in this whole thing as as, as patients are, right? We want to totally change that, and um, b- bringing it back to hormonal therapy. Again, that's where because of the way that doctors have been conditioned, they put up walls, you know, when or are threatened by the whole idea of hey, we can use bioidentical hormones uh, as supplements to help people live a better, help healthier, happier life. And there's a good reason to do so. It's because we're assisting evolution and our genetics in a, in a time span where they were designed to shut down. Um, so there's absolutely nothing wrong with that and everything right with that.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Doc. This has been a really good conversation. I appreciate you taking a few, well, an hour and a half out of your morning on Super Bowl Sunday, no less. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um why oh, don't my, my
0: pleasure. Why don't you go ahead and tell people where they can find you if they'd like to become a client or if they just want to follow you.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So our practice is nationwide um and we are 100% virtual. So everything we do is uh, by text, email, telephone, uh video consultation, video visit. Um so it's really a wonderful type of practice where our clients enjoy 24/7 access to their medical team, uh, well, I say medical team, but to their health, wellness, and longevity team um, based on what state they live in. And all your listeners in Minnesota would would have me as your lifestyle physician. Um, but of course, depending on the state you live in, you'd have one of our other uh, physicians, board certified docs uh, as, your, as your coach, your mentor, and your physician. Um, and where people can find us probably the quickest way is to go ahead and and navigate to our website at oldmissionmedicine.com. And there they can uh, kind of learn a little bit more about lifestyle medicine, about our practice, but navigate to the uh, pricing page to find out kind of how the system works. Um, It's cash pay, no insurance, um, and and it's a membership kind of uh, based process. We get you started with a whole comprehensive set of labs and a uh, probably thirty to sixty minute um, consultation where I'm online with you as a as your physician um, and we talk about um, you kind of where you're at what your symptoms might be. We talked about the labs and the blood work that you did. Speaking of labs, the way it works is you go to a lab that I contract with, real close to your house. It's either LabCorp or West and You get your blood drawn, then I get the results and we schedule our meeting. From there, you decide if you wanna become a member of the practice and we move forward from there with with the monthly fee. The way to sign up is go ahead and go to that page, either request more info. Uh, There's a button on there that says, I think, talk to doc. You can actually call me too. My phone number is on the website. Um, uh, Or you can uh, request more info electronically by email. And then finally, you can actually, if you're ready to go and you want to at least get the blood work done and have a consult, you can click on sign up for consult, which takes you through to a link to our uh, HIPAA secure uh, electronic medical record, and you fill out your patient intake form. Then I approve you, and then the whole process starts. So that's really the best way to connect with us initially is go to our website, www.oldmissionmedicine.com.
0: All right. Fantastic. Thanks a lot, Doc. Thanks for having me. Thanks for checking out this episode of Blackbird. If you like what you heard today, be sure you're subscribed on your podcatcher of choice. You can find me anywhere by searching Blackbird with James Gentleman. Follow me on Twitter at JamesLJ. My DMs are always open, so if you have feedback, ideas, or have something interesting to say and would like to appear on Blackbird, just drop me a line there. If you'd like to support the show and get early access to all my interviews, plus plenty of bonus content, head over to blackbirdpodcast.com. Toss me $7 a month or $70 a year, and I'll get you all set up. You can also find me on Odyssey, where I'm posting the video of my interviews. Just search for Blackbird there or click the link in the show notes. And finally, if you haven't already, please leave me a rating and a review over at iTunes. It really helps the show. Thanks again for listening to Blackbird. And until next time, live free.